Thank you for joining us today for the preaching ministry of Dr. Chris Aiken, Senior Pastor of Inglewood Baptist Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Inglewood is a dynamic ministry reaching Eastern North Carolina and the world with the timeless truth of the gospel. For more information, visit us online at inglewoodbaptist.com. Now here's Pastor Chris with today's message. Good morning. I am. Let me just look at you a minute. I missed you last week, and I'm so glad you're here. I'm grateful for the privilege for us to be able to really to worship together. Hey, uh, if you've got a print Bible, this is going to take you a minute. Let me invite you to take your Bibles open to the table of contents. Find the minor prophet Haggai. Yeah, that's why I sent you the table of contents first, all right, to Haggai, and chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning, and uh, if, you're, if you're like the rest of us and you've got an electronic Bible, it's probably abbreviated HAG, and uh, anyway, you'll find that and click on it, go to chapter 2, it's a very short letter from a minor prophet. The start of a new year always brings about a number of different things. It's time to clean out and uh, fill up the enjoy boxes. It's time to uh, make new commitments, new resolutions. It's looking back at some things and reflecting on those as you look forward and resolve for new paths for you. We look back on the experiences of a previous year and we hopefully look forward with anticipation and purpose to the days ahead. Days like this one are healthy, and they're hopeful days if we'll allow God to fulfill his plan and purpose through us. Let me set the stage on Haggai because some of you may go, I don't even know who that is and what a weird name. His parents must have hated him. I got it. I understand where you're coming from. Let me set the stage. He writes to God's people almost, well, over 500 years before Christ is even born. It's been about 15 to 20 years since those Jews who were exiled and removed from Jerusalem had been able to return. The Babylonians had sacked Jerusalem in 587 BC and they deported the remaining Jews that were there, deported them to Babylon and to all of her territories. The city was in ruins. In 539, the Persians actually conquered the Babylonians and King Cyrus allowed the Jews to be repatriated. In other words, to to come back to Jerusalem. Here was his idea. It's not that he was a nice guy, but he thought these oppressed people will suddenly feel good about me and they'll vote for me in the next election. If there were any, they'll vote for me because I'm going to allow them to go back to their homeland and I'm sure that they'll be good citizens in the kingdom if I allow them to do that. That takes place around 539. Now, we pick up the story about two decades later, and the people are looking around. They're back in Jerusalem. They're looking around, and they're saying to themselves, they're still suffering. They're still experiencing economic difficulties. The crops still aren't doing well. They're struggling and perhaps wondering why things are not looking better considering they're God's people and they've been brought back. They had pictures in their mind while in the Babylonian exile. They had pictures in their mind when the king comes, when we get returned to our city, everything's going to be better. Only they're there now uh, nearly two decades and things aren't necessarily better. And they're asking themselves questions like, why is this so? And God through the prophet Haggai tells 
them the problem. And, and by the way, to their credit, they address it almost immediately. And then he speaks to them again and he shares an encouragement from the Lord that I hope on this, uh, this New Year's, I want us to hear it. And I hope it means something to us because I want us to learn from it and perhaps join together as we do likewise. Now we're in Haggai chapter 2. I want to begin in verse 1 and deal with the first nine verses. And can I invite you, as is our custom, if you're able, would you stand with me in honor of the Word of God? Haggai chapter 2, I'm reading from the New American Standard Translation. On the 21st of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? But now take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all the people of the land. Take courage, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. As for the promise which I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea also and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and they will come with the wealth of all nations and I will fill the house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace declares the Lord of hosts. Pause right there. Father, even in these moments that we're together, would you help us not be disconnected from a, from a prophecy, from a word, from your word through a prophet 2,500 years ago? Help us to see how it's just as real and relevant in the lives of your people living today in Rocky Mount, North Carolina and the area around us. And I pray that we would learn from it and do likewise. So have your will and way. Teach us now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You be seated. If you'd like to follow along on an outline, we have one prepared for you. You'll find it on your church app or you could text the word notes to the number that you see on the screen. Particularly if you're joining us from home, we're grateful for you doing that. We've got a number of our folks who are joining us from different places now. They're separated uh, on their way back from vacation and all kinds of other things. So uh, thank you for, do, for uh, tuning in and being a part of our service today. Uh, you could text the word notes. I want to show you three observations or rather three instructions in a message. You probably picked up the title in verse uh, in verse four, here it is, take courage and work for I am with you. And that's what I want us to see together today. Notice with me, first of all, this first instruction that he gives to his people. And I pray for you and I today. I want you to see with me, first of all, he instructs us, take courage in God's covenant, not in our circumstances. We're called to take courage, but to take courage in God's promise, his covenant, not necessarily in the circumstances that we find around us. For nearly two decades, these people have lived in the land that was their homeland. That was the land of promise and they've struggled. And then they look back 
And they, they, they're, they're wondering, why are we still in the spot that we're in? Well, we would see that. In fact, I want to go back and show you pieces of it from chapter 1 because the background, the backdrop of why they're struggling is listed right there in the first chapter. In chapter 1, verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, this people says, the time has not come even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. He got, God gives a charge there. He brings an allegation or an instruction, an observation authoritatively to them and says, if you want to know why you're struggling, here's why. You've returned to the land and you've done all of these things, yet you've not yet rebuilt the house of the Lord, which had been, by the way, utterly destroyed. Stones toppled over this temple and, uh, the te- uh, had, been, had been laid waste. There was no place for worship. By the way, that didn't throw them when they were in Babylon. That's exactly what they dealt with every single day. But now they're in the land of promise and the temple is a mess. And God says, you want to know why you're struggling? You've come back and, and you've said the time's not yet. The time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. He says, you've put off rebuilding the temple. Now, catch a significance. For you and I, that's not as big a deal. But the temple was the place of meeting. It was the place where God's people met with the Lord. God met his people at the temple. That's where they experienced his presence. It was a place of worship. That's where they responded to his person. It was a place of intercession. That's where they offered petitions on behalf of others and themselves, where they offered praise. And then they asked of God for his help. When in Babylon, they didn't have any choice. They couldn't go to a place like that. But now they're at a place. It's a mess, but it's there. And God says, you've been here for nearly two decades. And you've not seen a need to restore that yet. You've done other things, but you've not done that. When you were delivered back to your homeland, worship took a back seat to other things. By the way, not unimportant things. Things like getting crops in the ground, otherwise how will we eat? Things like building houses, otherwise where will we live? Things like fixing the city, otherwise how will we get around? We've got infrastructure to take care of. Things like baseball lessons and dance lessons and all of these other things that had to take place that just seemed to crowd out this rebuilding of the temple thing. Now I know that's silly, they didn't play baseball back then. Do you get the idea? They had done the things that made sense to them, that were rational, reasonable, that, made, that, uh, that, that fit within everybody's metric of this has to be done. But God says you've missed something in priorities. Verse 4 of chapter 1, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? His second charge to them in verse 4 is that you have become your own priority. You, you've become your own priority. Now, by the way, there's nothing they were doing that's bad. They were simply trying to survive. They were simply trying to make it. They were simply trying to take care of themselves. They were simply trying to, to, to build a life like everyone and not, a, not a, an opulent life, but a necessary life. Food, housing, things of nature, things they needed. There's nothing wrong with building a house or having money and things like that. But when you put it ahead of God, even when it seems logical, it becomes, it exhibits what God calls a failure of faith. 
Notice how God calls them to take inventory. Haggai 1 verse 5. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. By the way, he repeats that several times. Then God describes their conditions. Look at verse 6 of chapter 1. He says, you've sown much, but you harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put in a purse with holes in it. He says, you work hard, you've got little to show for it. You're not quite satisfied for years. As one old guy put it this way, he says, the harder I work, the behinder I get. And that was the story of their life. They just kept at it over and over again. But something, it's like there was a hole in the bottom of the bucket. No matter what they put in, it just seemed to dwindle out. They never got caught up. You ever felt like that? Ever felt like that at your work? Ever felt like that in your family? Ever felt like that in your, with your 401 whatever? Are y'all awake? Have you ever felt like January the 2nd came way too early this year? <laughs> do, you, do you understand where I'm coming from? God gives him a crazy description. He says, you're working harder, but you've not gotten the priority with God straight yet. So therefore you suffer. Consequently, others suffered as well because of their missed priorities. Look at uh, verses 10 and 11 of chapter 1. Therefore, because of you, he says, the sky has withheld its dew and the earth has withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land. Who's I? God. God called the land into drought. On the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and on all the labors of your land. Don't, don't get this wrong. God's not... Uh, unable to do anything. He says, because you have got your priorities out of whack, I turned the spigot off and slowed it down to a trickle. And I did that so that you'd wake up and realize no matter how reasonable or rational your plan seems, it's a faithless plan. And until you get faith right, none of this other matters. And God did that. Now I know that may stretch some concepts that you held of God if you hey listen if you grew up in a boy almost this is going to sound weird give me grace it's the new year if you grew up with a Sunday school idea of God that he's just going to bless you every time you say God is great God is good and everything's going to be wonderful and that's as far as your theology goes this is going to stress you out but God's more interested in your character than your comfort He's more interested in you growing to become like Christ than he is for you to kick back in the lazy boy and just have a pleasant, warm, happy existence. Now, here's what he says. He says, if you'll get me right, you'll find ultimate happiness, not a level seven happiness, a level 10 happiness. But some of you won't come to level 10 unless I turn the spigot down a little bit and you experience the struggles. God controls the elements, but he says that his reasoning, his rationale is because of their lack of faith or the sin. They lack, and by the way, not only them, but have you ever noticed that God can't stop it raining in your yard and cause it to rain in your neighbor's yard? Others around them, people who weren't like them, were also experiencing difficulties. And it wasn't, 
It wasn't because God wasn't good, it's because God's people weren't faithful. And because of that, people in the cities around them struggled and suffered as well. Why? Haggai 1 verse 9, you look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house which lies desolate while each of you run to his own house. As if we needed him to punctuate it again, he simply says, you have become wholly self-consumed with little mind for my glory beyond nostalgia. And God said, you think of me second. Now, pause right there for a second. Could that be true for any of us here? If we were to look back on last year or were to look at how our resolutions laid out for this year, where is God in that priority list? To see the man this year, Chris, it's not getting out of debt that's first on my list. It's not losing 15 pounds that's first on my list. It's not finishing this project that's first on my list. The first thing I want is to know God more deeply and intimately and passionately and to ensure that those in my household walk with Him and know Him. That's my first priority. And I want that more than anything. If I didn't get anything else, as long as that happens, is that how your resolution's laid out? Or did God fit in there somewhere, but maybe just not in the first place? He was there for them, but just not in the first place. And God said, because of that, down to a trickle. You'll get by, you'll survive, but you can't thrive until you fix that. Pastor, now wait a minute. When you started this message, you said we were to take courage. You've not said one blessed courageous thing yet. I know, I read the text too. These folks have made a mess and they're suffering and they can't fix it no matter how hard they try. And by the way, I imagine they were tired and then God speaks. Verses 7 and 8, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways and go up to the mountain, bring wood and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. In other words, prioritize me in my presence that God may be pleased and receive glory. They were trying to fix their circumstances, but God said, just return to the promise and be bold and courageous, not in what you can do, but in me, the one who does it through you. If you're taking notes, just jot down, I won't go there, but just jot down Genesis 17, verses 1 to 9. Here are the people living in the land of promise, feeling like they've got to work in order to survive, and had they simply gone back to what God had promised them in Genesis 17 through Abram, they would know God says, I'm going to give you this land, and it's going to prosper, and you're going to prosper in it. He had made a promise to them. He had given it to them. But they weren't relying on the promise, they were relying on their power. God said, I'm going to take care of you. But they were busy taking care of themselves. I don't know about you, but that feels like my walk with Jesus sometimes. God makes a promise and yet I find myself trying to do it for him. Helping because, you know, God needs my help. Am I the only guy in the room? Or is there somebody else in here that knows what I'm talking about? See... At the end of the day, when it's all said and done, God said, you take it and prioritize you. Had they gone back to the promise, which is where God sends them, had they gone back to the promise and seen it, they could have relied on the promise, turned their attention to God, and they would have experienced differently. In fact, that's what he challenged them to do. Go back to the promise and take courage in the promise. The covenant, not in your circumstances. 
By the way, that shouldn't be strange to us from a New Testament perspective. Isn't that what Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount? Why do you worry about what you're going to eat or drink or wear? Birds don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your Father feeds them. Flowers don't pick out clothes to wear, yet Solomon in all his glory never found clothes as, as nice as the way God's adorned them, and they're only here for a day, and then they're, then they're cast into the furnace for fuel. Seek first, Matthew six thirty three, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things, they'll be added unto you. Seek first. Often, we live in poverty with a promise of God's riches written on a note in our pocket. We know what the Bible says, but we live as if we know better how to get it. And I'm a human being, so I know that's not unreasonable. It's just rational. But can I say to you, there's nothing rational about God's economy. God doesn't operate according to the natural or the rational. He's a supernatural God. He operates above and beyond whatever's national, natural or rational. And if you and I can explain how we take care of ourselves by our own power, God's yet to get the glory, which is why he tells us to do otherwise. So we're to take courage based in covenant and in the character of God, not in our circumstances. But the second thing he instructs us to do is this. We are to work as worship to the king. We're to work as worship to the king. Wait a minute, Chris, I thought I was supposed to just trust him. Yeah. But now trust doesn't mean not working. It just means working with the right priority. We work as worship to the king. Chapter 1 verse 15 records the people beginning to work on the 24th day of the sixth month of King Darius. The very next verse, chapter 2 verse 1 records the date a month later when they dedicate the temple, by the way. A month later? You mean they were only a month away from being able to have this place and it took them 20 years to get there? Sounds like my honeydew list. Yours? Chapter 2, verse 3. Who is left among you, God says, who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? You know what he's talking about there? He's saying some of you are gazing in the rearview mirror as opposed to looking out the windshield. You're looking back to the way things used to be. Man, we're so nostalgic. The world's changed so much. I'm getting older, so I start to talk like that now and again. I remember the good old days. They weren't good when I was walking through them, friends. Nor were they for you. They just seem gooder the longer you live. Because we forget more. Hello? We forget more. You'd say, I'd agree with you, but I don't remember. <laughs> I understand. I got that. I get it. I do. I do. I get it. Verse 4 addresses the governor, the high priest, and the people. And he, re he records three times, take courage, take courage, take courage. And we can infer from this a truth that was discouraging to the people and has the same effect today. They were looking back and they said the old temple was more glorious than this one. It was bigger. It was shinier. It had more luster. It had more attraction. All oh, the good old days. When I was, I was praying over that and I thought, I said, uh, Lord, there are times I anchor myself back there. And I wrote a statement just for me. It may not mean a thing to you, but here it is. It just encourages me. Anchor your joy, not in what you do, 
but in who you do it for. Find your joy, anchor your joy, not in what you do, but in who you do it for. You know, there's going to come a day where you can't do what you do. You can't do what you did. You'll do it and it'll hurt a lot more. My connect group's going to go roller skating in a few days. Jody said, are you going to skate? I said, you bet I'm going to skate. I'm going to skate backwards. I'm going to skate in circles. I'm going to skate around. And then you might take me to Nash ER. I got to preach the next day. But I'm, here's what's reality. I, I probably can't do what I used to do when I was 17 and 18 years old. Some of you are going, what is skating? <laughs> I understand. I got it. But uh, it's, what's how I met Jody? So anyway, there's that. Here, here's the deal. Sometimes we'll anchor in what we do or in the way things were rather than who we do it for. Churches do that. They look back on the revivals of yesteryear, the way things were, on the programs of the past, and the life is sucked out of them when they compare the present to the past. Some might not even go all in because they're not sure they can top what had been done before. I pastored that church one time. That I can't tell you how many times I sat in meetings where they said, you know, we used to have a vibrant bus ministry. Why, wow, we had hundreds and hundreds of children we'd pick up on school buses and bring in here. The place would be brimming with children. It's not like that anymore, preacher. What we need is more buses. <laughs> the last thing you need is some guy driving around picking up random kids on the street. That's the last thing you need. No, we need something, but it's not that. But when we look back at that, if it discourages us from doing the one thing God's called us to do here, we don't get to fight the war we want. We fight the war we're in. We don't get to go back to yesterday. Yesterday's gone. You even got to turn the page over on the calendar so you'll be reminded not to go back. We live in a new day. We live in a new world. This is where we are. These folks would look back and God just called them out on it, didn't he? I mean, bigger in Texas, he just called them out. He said, some of you, I'm, who remembers the way it used to be? It's not like that, is it? Almost as if they need to settle in their heart. It's, it's not like that anymore. I thought this was supposed to encourage us. It does if you remember the one you're supposed to have your eyes on, not on the way it used to be. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 tells us this. He tells us, hey, Run with endurance the race that you used to run. No, that's not how he said it, is it? Run with endurance the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the Father. You know what the writer of Hebrews says? You want to make it in life? You can't look back in the rearview mirror to the way it used to be, you've got to look forward and fix your eyes. Lock in on Jesus. See, when we're focused on Him and what He's got for us in the future, I promise you, He promises you the future is far more glorious than the past. But it doesn't feel that way because we're rational, we're reasonable, we're logical, we're natural. And yet He said, do you trust me? enough to think supernaturally in these moments. Paul reminds us, Colossians 3, verse 23, whatever you do, not whatever you did, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. 
You and I are not called. Listen, friends, we, we talk about homes around here and how important it is for homes to experience transformation. But you know, you're not called to compete with your neighbor's home life. They may have the most darling little children, all dressed perfectly, perfect smiles, teeth all straight, all their teeth. All of them all straight. They say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. They're up early. They're the first ones in the car. They may have all of that. God didn't tell you to compete with them. <laughs> that's a good thing because my kid beat them up. No, that's not a good thing. <laughs> You're not called to compete with them. You're called to run the race set before you. We're not called to beat a certain record that was set years ago. We're called to worship Jesus by giving our all in every way and in everything. We take courage in God's covenant. We work for him as worship. And number three, draw power and peace from God's presence. He instructs us, draw power, draw peace from the very presence of God. Look at chapter two, verse four. Now, but now take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all you people of the land, take courage, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord. Here's God's encouragement. I'm with you. I'm with you. You may say, I need more than that. I get it, but all God gave them was, I'm with you. I'm with you. You're not in it alone. I got you. I'm there. He drew them back to the story of Egypt. He, he reminded them, I was with you when I brought you out of Egypt. But his promise to them here is, I'm with you. Not, I was with your ancestors. I am with you. Not, I will see you one day when you get to heaven. But I am with you. Here, now, in the present. Is that a promise? Is it powerful? The presence of God allowed his people, since he mentioned Egypt, allowed his people to follow him for decades through the desert, even after they blew it. Exodus 13, verses 21 and 22, the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. The people knew where to go, they knew when to go, they knew who to follow because God's presence was with them. He didn't phone it in, he didn't send them an email and tell them directions, he didn't, he didn't plug it into to Google Maps or to Waze, he simply said follow the pillar of fire, follow the pillar of cloud. I'm with you, I'm right here, standing right behind, just follow after me. It was the presence of God, by the way, that stopped up the Jordan as they carried the ark. And then they stopped right in its midst. And, and God caused a natural river at its flood stage to heap up so that the people of God could step into the promise some decades later. Yeah, but I've got to do this in my own strength and power. Can you stop up a river? Or is it the presence of God that gives us hope in those moments? God was present with the people, not only in the pillar of fire and cloud, but do you know that he built this into their habits so that, so that even while they were traveling through the desert, they'd never forget God was right there in the midst. When the 12 tribes would set up camp whenever they would stop, do you know, the, do you know what was right in the center of all of the camps of all the different tribes? What was in the midst of all of that? 
the tabernacle. The place where they met with God. The place where they stepped into His presence, where they offered petitions, where they brought sacrifice. It was right there, right in their midst. By the way, this promise has sustained God's people throughout history. It sustained Moses. When Moses said, I don't know if I can do this, God says, go ahead, I'm with you. And then when he sustained Joshua, as I was with Moses, I'll be with you, Joshua 1 verse 5. The same promise Jesus gave us in the Great Commission when he said, all authority belongs to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you and I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. His presence, God says, I'm with you. Look at Haggai 2, verses 5 to 9. As for the promise which I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear, for thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea also and the dry land. I'll shake all the nations and they will come with the wealth of all nations and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. I will fill the house? I thought that's what they were working for, to get enough resources to do it. God says, just follow me, I'll do it. Verse 8, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. And verse 9, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. Wait a minute. Didn't he tell them, hey, who remembers the way it used to be? How does it compare now? It's not near there. But the latter house will be greater than even the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace declares the Lord of hosts. Do you know when we think about it then, it's, it's never about what we can do, but really about what he can do. Let me say that to you again. It's never about what we can do. It's always about what he can do. And that's what he invites us into. That's what he invites us to embrace. That's what he calls us to follow after. That's what he promises us. The latter glory will be greater than the former. Yes, it's a new year, which means we can look back and I aged seven years in the last two. COVID's wore me out. And then we get to today and it's all over us again. Just watch the news. It's crazy. And God said, yep, but the, the latter days are going to be greater than even the former days. It's not about what you can do, Chris. It's about what I can do. I'll fill the temple. I'll bring the resources. I'll bring the blessing. You follow me. If we're to experience the abundant life Christ promised in this new year, it'll be because we made decisions to take God at his word. To find courage in his covenant, not in our circumstances. And take it. God, I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how we're going to get through. I don't know any of that stuff. Yeah, but can you trust his promises? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. 
I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All this that you need, good stuff that you need, it'll be added unto you. Take courage in His covenant, not in our circumstances. To choose to work the work that He gives us is worship. To work the work that He gives us. Not that He gave us, not that He's going to give us, but the work that He gives us today. To work it and to work it like we ought to. And to do it as worship. And to draw power and peace, not in what's happening around us, but in His presence with us. Hey, if all that's true, or if any of that's true, isn't it worth starting or starting over to experience it? You may say, Chris, I made a commitment once, but I've drifted from that. Well, the beauty of the new year is you just get to start over. You get to start over. Matter of fact, you could start over any day. Remember what he told, told us through the Apostle John? If we Christians say we don't sin, that's living a faithless life. If we say we don't sin, we lie and the truth's not in us. But 1 John 1, 9, but if we confess our sin, our faithlessness, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's what he said. It doesn't matter how far you've strayed, if you'd like to start over, I'll receive you. I'll receive you. And you could get back on the path of abundant life. Or maybe you've been close to God, but never fully committed. Can I say to you, today's the day. Don't be satisfied with what could have been or ponder on what should have been. But focus on what he's promised will be if you trust him today. I can't explain all of it. If you could explain it, he'd be kind of a small God, wouldn't he? I mean, if you could figure it all out and, and explain it in your power, honestly, you'd be as smart as him. That means you'd be worthy of worship and you're not worthy of worship. But could you trust him? And would you trust him? See, that's what he called these people to. He said, ah, hey, you've done good, but you're wearing yourselves out. All because you've not put me first. Put me first. And see that the latter days will be greater even than the former. Can I just invite you to pray with me? Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message has been a blessing. If today's message has prompted you to consider a next step with God, we would love to assist you. Simply drop by our website at inglewoodbaptist.com next or give us a call at 252-937-8254 and let us know how we can assist you. If today's message was an encouragement to you, let me encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you consume this content. That really helps us reach a wider audience with the life-changing hope of Jesus Christ. We hope you will join us next week. And until next time, may the Lord bless you.